Welcome to What's Up with Betsy Johnson, a podcast from a longtime Oregon legislator and keen political observer discussing what is right and wrong with government, politics, and public policy. Well, Betsy, uh, weighing in on a Portland issue again this time, uh, striking teachers. Well, my involvement is um, is largely as observer and uh, just watching the disintegration of our K-12 system. This one is particularly egregious because when you think about the difference between the opinions of some of the frontline teachers and the union bosses that tell them what to think and what to do, it's a pretty striking disconnect. Uh, I, uh, I what they're asking for is um, is a huge number. And I think the thing that makes me the angriest is that way back when the lamentation was we don't have enough money, we don't have an educated workforce, business capitulated on helping um, uh, to pass the uh, corporate activity tax, and they were never going to have to come back again. And so uh, I ended up, as you recall, very reluctantly voting yes for that. Uh, because I was promised genuine PERS reform. Well, the genuine PERS reform never happened. And um, and th- th- all that money flowed into the system. Then their superintendent came back to the last legislative session. I wasn't part of it. And ostensibly said to the legislature, you passed $10.3 billion and will never be back again. Well, surprise, surprise, now $10.3 billion isn't enough. And um, I agree that teachers have gotten, uh, the job of teaching has gotten increasingly difficult because among other things, we have undisciplined classrooms. We have gotten cohorts of kids mixed together that are problematic. Uh, We don't let teachers run their classrooms. There are meetings after meetings after meetings that take away from classroom time. We miss days because of COVID, so we're already behind the eight ball. And so I I am very sympathetic for individual classroom teachers who walk into an unruly, undisciplined classroom and have to try to bring order and some modicum of structure, uh, much less teach them anything. And what was really surprising to me is that we had an event for kids at OMIC a while ago that was celebrated all over the United States. It's manufacturing day. And so we had a whole bunch of kids come out to OMIC and the seventh and eighth graders who suffered, I think the most intensely from being out of the classroom during the three years of forced abandonment of structured schooling in Oregon um, behaved horribly. And so I don't know whether it was just a lack of uh, the ratio of teachers to students that were at our particular event, or it was the excitement about the displays and the helicopters and all the stuff that we had. But some of those kids were really, really badly behaved. And I keep wondering how much of that is a direct result of, of COVID and being out of the classroom, but moreover, just how much of it is the deterioration of our educational system. And you now march me right from K-12, from the K-12 through to the colleges. And what's happening on our college campuses right now is just nothing short of of outrageous. These highly privileged um, young people going to our elite universities and behaving like hooligans uh, the thing that really gets me about it is the uh, the anti-Semitic bent to the whole thing. We spend all this time talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. How does overt 
anti-Semitic actions and words and protests fit into that equation. And so I'm kind of discouraged right now for the in the state of uh, education in this country. And oh, by the way, in case people that are listening to this aren't pissed off enough, I'll give you another one. Our uh, school board, the, the uh, Board of Education in Oregon decided unanimously that Oregon high school students won't have to prove basic mastery of reading, writing, and math to graduate from high school until at least 2029. And so it just makes you scratch your head and wonder what kind of world these uneducated high school graduates are going to enter. Uh, and you watch our, our uh, the, the same age kids in Asia or in Europe uh, they speak multiple languages. They're fluent in the language of math and science. And we've got kids that don't even have to prove they can read. Uh, it's horrifying what we're doing. And it all stems back, I believe, to the fact that we took a cohort of people that want to be considered professionals, i.e. teachers, and modeled their um, governance structure of their association like an industrial labor union. And I, I have a little bit of trouble reconciling that. And oh, by the way, the OEA, the Oregon Education Association, and by extension, the National Education Association, are fundamentally buying elections with their massive influx of money into local and state elections. So you've got me on a day when I'm pretty discouraged watching our teachers marching around and in some cases marching around in a pretty undisciplined, pretty snarly fashion. Uh, they flew the head of the um, Teachers Association, the National Education Association out here. She's somebody that's making almost $340,000 a year and they're demanding from uh, the uh, legislature that the legislature step in and help Portland schools achieve a 21.5% increase from last year's and uh, of salary and, and, um, and cost of living. And so uh, I, what I know about the Portland Public Schools budget is pretty small. What I know about education funding in this state in general is pretty large. And the fact that Portland Public had the audacity to come in and say, fix these things and we're going to be okay going into the future and delivering a highly competent, qualified student. Well, none of that happens. So I, the legislature, uh, I have not seen the letter, but the members of the legislature apparently wrote a Portland Public Schools a letter and said, we're not going to bail you out. Take a look at how you budget and how many consultants you've got and blah, 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 how you waste money. And uh, but we're not going to just write you another check. So we're now on day seven. I think uh, bargaining has been going on continuously. I don't know to what end, um, but we'll start next week with parents all over Portland in the Portland School District waiting for a text that uh, comes in the evening that says, yes, we'll have school or no, we won't have school incredibly disruptive to the workplace and the economic well-being of our state. And oh, by the way, did I mention these teachers are being paid while they're out picketing? And I don't know how much uh, incentive there is to get this settled uh, when money keeps on flowing to people that are out on the picket lines. Did you say, did you say over $10 over billion dollars for education? Is that the number that I heard come out of your mouth? That's the number you heard come out of my mouth. 
Wow, because uh, last time we talked about this, it was at seven. What ha- where'd that three billion come from? Uh, that three billion came from the d- demands of quote education to fund our schools, and it's now at, at three billion. I mean, at ten point three billion, and we are one of the higher uh, states in terms of funding. Many other states allow uh, some of that money, that per student um, calculation to be applied in other ways. For example, they would let the money follow the students. So I think in Arizona, kids can get money to pay for private tutoring and other uh, instructional expenses. Iowa gives families 7,500 bucks roughly for private school tuition. Uh, Utah uh, allows $8,000 to pay for education related items, including private school tuition. So I I think there's going to be a lot more emphasis on school choice going forward as parents are increasingly dissatisfied with the product that's coming out of the schools. The taxpayers are increasingly dissatisfied with how much it's costing to raise a generation of students that don't have to demonstrate that they can read or write until um, until uh, 2029. Um, I would say that we are marching towards some kind of a pivotal moment of of uh, of uh, b- mutual d- dissatisfaction that is not going to end well. I don't know how it ends, but it's not going to end well. Do you think it's a function of government to pay for education? Well, that's part of our whole structure here in Oregon, that we are to ha- pay for a uniform, equal um, public education. And I... Uh, I came up through the public school system in K uh, in K eight, uh, and I remember all of those teachers. I remember them instilling in me an interest in lifelong learning, um, and how um, how dedicated the teachers were, how attentive and eager to learn the students were, and given the plethora of problems facing our society writ large right now, maybe it's time to rethink the notion of the little red schoolhouse. I do think that there is a role for government to pay for education, but to pay what and to to demand, I mean, pay how much and to demand what in results that kids can pass normalized standardized tests. Um, We've moved away from testing because testing, uh, according to some people, is inherently racist and uh, and bad. And uh, we went to to demonstrated knowledge kind of testing. We're now doing away with the Oregon State Bar. Uh, One other thing I thought I would grouse about as long as I'm bitching about education today. Um, I'm not sure I'd want to hire a lawyer that hadn't been forced into the discipline of studying for and passing the bar. Um, we, we are doing away with any kind of measurement of how well we're doing. And in Oregon, there has been a propensity to every time we don't meet standards, like how are our kids doing at certain grade levels in math or reading, we change the standards. And so we have sort of an open-ended checkbook to pay for public education, which I think is a good thing. But I'd also like the discipline of demanding and seeing evidence of results for the kind of investment that we're making. What are we? What are taxpayers buying for all that money? So the cat tax, the corporate activities tax that was passed a few years ago now, uh, that wasn't enough, apparently, huh? 
nope, that was the end all and be all. And they trounced around the state and did all these listening sessions and it was going to buy special ed and it was going to buy more classroom teachers and it was going to buy this, that and the other thing. All of the tools that everybody asserted that they needed to, to have a, a world class education system. Well, that wasn't enough. 10.3 wasn't enough. Uh, I, I, a friend of mine used to joke that the education in Oregon would always say, give us all the money and we'll send you back the change. And um, I'm coming, to, I you thought that was funny the first time I heard him say it. I'm now beginning to believe that that's an actual mindset. Give us all the money and we'll give you back the change. Except we want the change too. Yeah, except we want the change too. And we're not always gonna have this kind of money. Um, with the geopolitical uncertainty that's facing us at East and West, I, I, I just don't know how long this font of money is going to continue to be turned on and uh, that everything can be resolved by just throwing more money at it. I mean, the governor's trying to do that with one of her environmental initiatives that results in, okay, the counties and small little districts are, that rely on money from timber revenue are all going to be deprived of that timber revenue. So, okay, let's just fill the delta with money. Okay, how long is that money going to be around? And how will it transcend this governor's term? When What happens when there isn't enough money to basically buy off the people that are getting screwed? And that doesn't say anything about the rest of the supply chain, the loggers, the diesel mechanics, the people that are all part of the timber industry that aren't going to get a dime if the cut goes way, way, way down. Uh, the notion that we are awash in money and that it's always going to stay that way, I think is magical thinking. Well, you know, I have a solution. Let's go to Portugal. It seems to be the place everybody wants to go to learn about everything. So, Oh, God, yes. Um, <laughs> unbelievable trip. Let's just explain to people who might not be from Oregon what this was. This was a group of uh, treatment people, legislators, some public safety, specifically the head of the Portland Police Union, and they flew them off for a week in Portugal. And the they are all of the people that are promoting this laissez-faire attitude about drugs. These are the, the national people that poured money into the state of Oregon, passed ballot measure 110, which functionally legalized drugs. And so they're gonna pack everybody off to Portugal. The one interesting person who was going to go and backed out uh, because of an alleged schedule conflict, yeah, right, was our district attorney who has been pro-ballot measure 110 right from the get-go, the Multnomah County DA. There was enough criticism mounted about his trip to Portugal to study the drug problem. You know, if that dude wants to study the drug problem, is all he needs to do is to walk into what's referred to in the Portland downtown area as Old Town and take a look at people literally dying on the streets because of the proliferation of fentanyl and other exotic, um, highly addictive drugs. Um, I, I saw a guy shooting up the other day. I mean, on the street, needle in his arm. Gross. Uh, and so off this merry band traipses to uh, Portugal. They had one naysayer who was very skeptical. Um, I get the impression from some comments that she has made that she may have been ostracized by the rest of these gung-ho guys who thought they were going to learn all this stuff from Portugal. 
Portugal is completely different in their governmental structure and their approach to drugs. Yes, they legalized drugs um, several years ago. Uh, their answer was they perhaps have more robust treatment than we do, and they also created outdoor spaces and indoor spaces to use drugs. They also notably don't have fentanyl. Fentanyl is not their major lethal drug. And if fentanyl hits their shores, I'll bet you all bets are off. But um, these guys went over there. So Mike Schmidt, when he finally figures out that the public would think it was absolutely bizarre for somebody wanting to study the drug problem, had to fly to another continent on, on drug money to go check it out, he stayed home at the last minute. And I think his PR people said to him, if you go, you're going to get just crucified for for doing such a dumb thing. So uh, they all came back from Portugal and announced, yeah, ballot measure has some uh, ballot measure 110 has some problems. These were the legislators speaking, the ones that were uh, publicly interviewed. And we're going to make some little changes, but we don't want to do anything that would in any way recriminalize drug use. Well, unless there are consequences and uh, some offerings that I've been working on with others provide those consequences, but also provide off ramps that if you go into treatment and successfully complete treatment, any reference to the criminal charges goes away. Unless you've got a stick uh, to try to get people into treatment, people that are mentally ill or drug addicted or the co-occurrence of both um, uh, syndromes are not the best people to make wise decisions about their medical uh, future, their medical treatment. We're going to just have this mounting um, pile of bodies as a result of the lethality of fentanyl and our inability to deal with it. They also have a different legal structure where they could confiscate in Portugal, where they could confiscate drugs. We can't do that here. And so my fear is that the legislature is going to chicken out and they're not going to do anything. Or if they do something, they will say that you can't use in public. Okay, so I crawl back into my county provided tent and I shoot up in the tent and I come out and I do the same violent criminal behavior uh, or I am addicted um, as seriously as passing out in the street. Um, but nobody has, uh, as uh, with any sensibilities, has had to see me stick that needle in my arm or watch me snort drugs off tinfoil. Um, but it hasn't addressed the problem. It's been an aesthetic fix to a raging drug crisis. So I, uh, our plan, this group of people that I'm working with, our plan is to present to the legislature uh, a, a concept that would allow there to be um, the incentive for people to seek treatment, uh, continue to spend money for the proliferation of treatment centers and the recruitment and the adequate compensation of workers in those spaces, and see if we can stem the tide of, of uh, deterioration in downtown Portland and the death of people that are in the vice grip of these exotic drugs. I think the legislature will turn that down, in which case it's our intention to take this to the ballot and ask Oregon voters what they think about ballot measure 110. And I can tell you, I, I don't know the exact number right now, but I think it could be approaching um, somewhere between 10 and 12 counties 
out of our 36 counties have already passed resolutions repealing the entire ballot measure. I still believe that Oregonians are a tolerant and and um, and um, not just tolerant. They're they want to help people. They're they're humanitarians. They would like to see people get into treatment. They just don't want to to uh, create a scenario where anything motivates people to get into treatment. They have to willingly go. And drug addicts are generally not prime candidates to seek treatment. And then the paucity of services uh, exacerbates the problem of you can't um, get people clean and sober if there's no place to go get clean and sober, particularly if many of the publicly um, financed institutions continue, uh, treatment institutions continue to allow people to use. At some point, you've got to say to somebody, in order to recover from your addiction, you got to stop using drugs. And there's got to be some motivator to get them to stop doing it. And I believe that's the reinstatement of our specialty courts, the potential that somebody could have a criminal sanction against them, not just say, pretty please, would you stop sticking a needle in your arm? Um, it's not going to work unless there is some artificially enforced motivation. And I believe that that is the possibility of a criminal sanction, but also the very distinct opportunity for people to get out of the criminal justice system if they seek treatment, uh, successfully seek treatment. And then we've got to also define what does successfully seek treatment mean? Does it mean you're clean for two hours, two weeks, two days, two months, two years? What does clean and sober actually mean? Because these treatment facilities are not inexpensive and time consuming and require staff and facilities and all sorts of, of other accoutrements that go with, with achieving sobriety and, and getting out of the grip of these drugs. Thanks for listening to What's Up with Betsy Johnson. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please email questions, Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S, at BetsyJohnson.com.